Welcome to my very first Stories from the Career Couch podcast. I want you to meet my three lovely guests and they're going to be talking about their experience of courage at work. They've all got really different life stories and I hope really interesting perspectives to share with you. They're going to, I think, describe experiences and themes that might resonate with with all of you or definitely with some of you. Let's explore the mystery that that goes on in our heads and its relationship with the outside world of work. As a career coach and business psychologist, my speciality, if you like, is work and career. I partner with clients working in a wide range of roles and a wide range of sectors, supporting them to explore what work means and how to shape this work and hopefully to flourish and to succeed. I guess we all carry narratives, don't we, and assumptions and saboteurs that sit alongside our strengths and the future plans about what we want to do. All of our career paths have become so much more fluid over the last 10 years, and the clients I work with have increasingly high expectations from our work. It's just such a big part of our identity, isn't it? We want work to provide us with a living, but also to be purposeful and enjoyable. But to make this happen, we need to make change happen. And for most of us, this feels really uncomfortable and quite scary. Courage is about moving away from the familiar and the tried and the tested. That's big things, but it also happens every day. It's about putting ourselves in challenging circumstances and they feel out of our comfort zone and often really kind of ambiguous and difficult to get a hold of. I'm sure some of us will remember that 1970s help book called Feeling the Fear and Doing It Anyway. That all sounds pretty straightforward, doesn't it? COVID seemed like a really great time to ask some of my clients to reflect on their working lives and write their career stories. They're real people and life's messy and it's complicated and doesn't always meet our expectations. So today I'm going to introduce you to three of those writers and I hope they're going to give you an insight in how they conceive that reality of work and what it feels like to be brave, but also what it feels like to feel a bit scared. I'd like you to meet my first guest, Gerard McHale. Gerard's hot off a shift in A&E. He's in his very final stages of GP training, having undertaken a medical degree mid-career. He initially trained as an accountant, and then he decided after 10 years in various finance roles to leave a well-paid profession to don his scrubs. In your story, Gerard, you talk about having an early calling to being a doctor, but you didn't listen to this calling for over a decade. So... Welcome. And what were the drivers for making this huge change in your life? Thanks, Susie. Um, and thanks for um, allowing me to be part of this. I think it's really interesting because actually I didn't really appreciate at the time how big of a change it was going to be, how much of an impact it would have on my life. And maybe that had an impact on, on, on making the decision and, and, and how easy or otherwise it was. But I think you know, you, ref- you touched on it in, in the introduction there about it was something that was in the back of my mind for a long time. I had wanted to do medicine when I was a child. Um, I didn't get an opportunity and life took me on a very different path and a very you know, successful path at that time. But reflecting as well on you know, the idea of purpose and you know, enjoyment and whether you were getting that in your life and in your job. And I wasn't at the time that I, I made the change. I had a number of experiences of working for people who I didn't maybe feel were giving me what I needed or uh, working environments which I felt were, I'd say, suboptimal. I didn't really feel motivated in my work despite progressing through a career in a successful manner. And I, I, I got the opportunity, I had the time to think about it and I had the, 
the the opportunity to apply, uh, and and I took it. I took the chance, uh, and I went for it. And I was reflecting on it, and through the work, reflecting on, on on what was kind of happening. And a part of it was around. I wasn't really feeling that it was the right place for me. I wasn't feeling the the ethos of the of the places I was working was right. And it's interesting because bringing those feelings and those ways of thinking and operating into into medicine, one of the big things was the, was your gut feeling. And my gut wasn't just right in those roles. I just felt that things weren't, for me, wasn't the right thing. And then it was, do I really want this from the job? And that let me think, well, maybe there's something else that I can do. Maybe I can go back and find what I really want to do, something that has the values that I, that I, that I, that I aspire to. And I wanted to have the purpose in the life and have a mission. Um, and I kind of felt that medicine might give me that. And so I decided to give it a go. Wow, that sounds really brave. And it sounds as though it's really connected to what you care about. Uh, the poet David White writes about making conscious those things that you already feel deeply. And I guess that's what you're talking about here, Gerard. Actually, the piece of work of, of that over the last couple of last year or so working on this has actually made me reflect about values and what my values are. Um, and, and my medical career to date has, has really been about that. You, you start off thinking, well, it's all about a limb or, you know, medicine as a science, but actually there's a lot more within that. The way you interact with people, there's being there when people need you and actually feeling like there's a value, there's a purpose to your life and a purpose to your job. And medicine, I think, really gives you that in ways that other careers can, but maybe not necessarily are as easy to find. And I think no matter what one is doing, I think finding what your values are and uh, understanding them and then applying it to what you do in your job is really important. And I saw medicine as a way to do that. Yeah, yeah. And I guess one thing that you are uh, not talking about, which I can imagine was really tough, was transitioning really from, you know, leaving your well-paid job, your suit, your briefcase, the toolkit of knowledge that you'd um, already acquired and entering a period where you knew nothing again. And I love that word liminality. It's about that quality of the kind of disorientation that, that kind of occurs in the middle of a transition from one stage to the next stage. And I'm really interested in what that feels like, because when you make change happen, it doesn't happen instantly. I think it's interesting. I think I'm still in that space um, because I'm, um, I'm still in the process of, of, of becoming a doctor, because in many ways it's a lifelong experience. Um, you start off at the beginning uh, of medical school, you get your toolbox, vast and empty. And in some ways, you never really fully fill it. And that's actually very an anxious space to sit in. Um, because when you work in with numbers, oftentimes, A plus B equals C, one plus two equals three, it's very black and white. But in medicine, you often have to hold and sit your with your own anxiety. And the anxiety of not knowing everything and maybe never knowing everything and how that can impact not just on you, but the vulnerable person who's sitting in front of you in the consultation room or on the trolley in A&E. Um, you often have imperfect information in making decisions. In life, often the outcomes are less dramatic. But in medicine, even when you think that you know everything or know enough for that case, something happens, something tricks you up. And then you feel like you're going back to the beginning. 
And that's one of the most difficult things, I think, for me, because I am a bit of a perfectionist and I like to get everything right first time. And I'm having to learn that that's not possible all the time. And sometimes make mis- you make mistakes and that's OK. Um, but you have to learn how to live with that. And it's something that I'm trying to do every day. I was actually yesterday at a back at an accountancy, uh, an old accountancy type event. And they were talking about where you people are who would have continued on the career path that I didn't have I'd been at the stage in your career where you have all the knowledge or you have most of it now. And what's very contrasting for me, because I'm not, uh, and I'm having to sit with that anxiety and that contrast. Yeah, and and I guess what we're talking about here is being able to sit within a kind of learning mindset, if you like, and and actually accepting that every day you're going to learn something new rather than necessarily there is a clear goal and a concrete outcome, but actually you're learning all the time and you you have to have that openness to learning uh, in order to make that change happen that we're talking about. Uh, you're currently finishing a placement in A&E, as I said, and I'm sure you've got to make lots of brave and difficult decisions every day there. What does that bravery feel like for you on a day-to-day basis? I actually find the idea of bravery in my job very, very odd. It's not something I normally think about. I don't see it as being brave. I think lots of people make difficult, brave decisions every day. In our case, sometimes it's about what we do next, what decision is the right one or otherwise. And sometimes they can be very difficult. They can be life or death decisions, but they become a reflex and we get into a habit of it. But I think it's the people who I come across in my day-to-day life, people who have to make a decision about leaving their job. Do they leave their partner because they're abusive? Do they have to choose between eating or heating their home and feeding their children? I think those people are the ones who really make the brave decisions. I think humans are easier to make decisions when you have when you're safe or when it's forced but actually for those of us who sometimes sit in the in between that's when it's really hard to make a decision and hard to be brave because if you're comfortable but want something more that can be difficult Hmm. and I guess what you're learning here is about wisdom and it's about perspective isn't it and it's about judgment uh which is all part I guess of being of being truly brave thanks so much for your for your insights Gerard I'd now like to introduce you to Serena Evans. I thought Serena would be brilliantly interesting as a guest because she spent so much of her lifetime doing what most of us would find excruciatingly scary, acting on some of those most prestigious stages in the UK. Alongside this stellar acting career, Serena has got an organisation called Fearless Speaking and she helps people from all walks of life to stand up and talk in front of others. Welcome, Serena. Hello, lovely to be here. When did you begin to really recognise how courageous you were? Well, that's that's interesting, actually, because I think it wasn't until I wrote my story for your book, because I think I was just doing it in order to do what I wanted to do. I had a very clear vision from a very early age that I wanted to be on stage telling stories to others. Uh, So it wasn't until now, and I'm 62 now, that looking back, that I thought, my goodness, I've been so courageous. So yes, it's it's only now that I'm looking back and thinking, I wonder how I did that. Yeah. And how did you do it? Well, that that's interesting. And of course, I've reflected on that. And I... A, I was born into an acting family, so I'm third generation. So it was just there in my makeup. 
my father and my grandfather were both self-made. But I think I think I just was attached, very attached to what I wanted to do. And therefore, I had to find the ways of keeping on doing it, if you know what I mean. For me, that would be, uh, it's a very physical thing because acting is very physical. So I have, over the years, developed ways of connecting and grounding through my body and my breath and my voice. And, you know, you have to keep going as an actor. You could be rejected three or four times a week. Also, it's very frightening stepping onto a stage. It never stops being frightening. And so I have to have these practices, I realise now, looking back, that have just kept me going because I am a scaredy cat, in fact. Uh, yeah, I'm really interested in this bit about the instinctiveness. So the instinctiveness is it was something that you had to do. And then the instinctiveness where you're sort of almost trusting your your body as well. And we haven't really talked about that yet, that sort of embodiedness of courage as well. What does that actually feel like in a physical way, Serena? Well, for me, I, I, I think I was trained to embody at drama school. You don't really realise that that's happening, but you spend an hour, at least an hour every day on breathing. You spend at least an hour on moving your body. And in order to be able to lose your own glitches and get out there and be someone else, you, you need to be centred and grounded in your body and your breath. And so for me, when I'm teaching now, <clears throat> the very simplest form is to actually feel your feet, ground yourself through your feet, because we're triggered so easily, of course, into fight or flight, and our mind begins to catastrophize, which can happen so easily if you're on stage and you're, you know, it's galloping towards you. You know you've got to say something and you've no idea what it is and everyone's looking at you. You have to come into a calm, grounded space in your body. So I think I've just instinctively been using that all my life actually does that does that make sense it does yeah and I think one other thing that comes to mind is that all of us mess up and fail but I think as an actor you have multiple rejections in your life even even the very best actors do how do you pick yourself up again after that and continue to be brave well, I, I guess there's there's a few things in there. There's a sort of stubbornness that I think I just had from about the age of four that I wanted to connect with others. I wanted to tell the story. But I learned very quickly after I left drama school that I was going to be rejected, that I wasn't going to get the jobs that I wanted. And uh, first of all, I always give myself 24 hours to sulk. <laughs> I think that's necessary because you've got to be able to go, oh, God, it didn't happen. And and then allow that to be. And then somehow you just, that must be the stubbornness, I think, and the connection to the desire to keep on expressing myself in that particular way. I didn't have any other choice. That's how I'm doing it. This is how I'm earning my living. I've got to bounce back. So I think that allowing myself to have the downtime is important. And then somehow the optimism, and I am optimistic by nature, comes jumping back in. Sounds like there's a real agility there and a real persistence to keep on going. And um, I guess what you're trying to say, uh, or you're saying very nicely here, is that it's not necessarily about pushing those difficult emotions away. It's about sitting with them and being with them before you move on. Is that right? Yes, I think that's uh, that's part of the resilience because uh, I, of course, I've seen actors that I trained with crash and burn quite quickly. It's a very highly emotional job 
and uh, um, if it doesn't go your way you can get very het up so you do have to learn to let it go and um, to to come back to your own knowing of what it is you want to do it's very easy to get caught up in oh I should have got that job he should he shouldn't have that he's no good I'm better I know this is true in all in all professions um, but in acting it seems to be quicker and and inten- very intense yeah and it's it's what I think is so wonderful is that you've taken the expertise that you built up uh, as an actor and now you're sharing your expertise to help others feel brave and to and to speak fearlessly. Tell us about how you do that. Well, that's that's evolved really out of my own realisation that I had spent 25 years, 30 years, 40 years being terrified and working with it. And I realised that that nobody teaches other people to do that. And yet everybody's expected to get up and speak. So I I have found and read and trained, found ways of helping people to, um, as I was saying, really, it's about grounding through your body, feeling in your body, realising that you're you've been triggered into catastrophizing in your brain and coming into a different place so that you can allow that bit of your mind that has the wonderful information to speak. How, how do you stop the fear from being really paralyzing? Honestly, it's as simple as connecting down through your feet, breathing into your belly and softening your eyes and connecting with others through your eyes. Non-threatening eye contact from me gives the signal that I'm a non-threatening human and then others start to look back at me with non-threatening eye contact. Of course, these things take practice. They take a lot of practice. But that, in a nutshell, in a nutshell, it's about serving them, actually. What do they need rather than what do I need? Do they know that I'm about to die? Do they know I've got sweat trickling down my back? What do they need? So it's a shift of energy into wondering about them being curious about them and not seeing them as the enemy. <laughs> I, I love that, Serena. I love that idea that it's not about you and part of being brave is actually changing your focus and giving almost a gift, isn't it, to to the other person. And I, it's very much like Gerard was talking about when he's in that consulting room with a patient. It isn't actually about him. It's about the needs of of, of his patient. Uh, and, and somehow that manages to diffuse the the difficult stuff for you. Yes, as well. It yeah. really does, and I think I think because we're because we are vigilant animals, because we're triggered instantly, thank heavens, into looking for dangerous situations. For some, well, for lots of reasons, when we stand up in front of others, the the audience becomes our enemy. But in fact, they're not. So if you can change your mindset and think, actually, they really want, they're really interested, they really want to hear what I've got to say, it it, it can shift the way we are on stage. Thanks. Thanks so much, Serena. My final guest today is Polly, Polly Holmes. Polly's built up huge experience in in marketing and design and communications, and she's now managing director of a creative brand agency. And I met Polly six years ago. She was already a senior leader in her business and had also run her own company. I thought she was super confident, super articulate. But we don't always have that one single story about ourselves, do we? Uh, Welcome, Polly. Hi. I'd like you to tell me what it feels like to be brave and also what it feels like to be 
fearful or to be scared. Can you give me some examples from from your own career? Yeah, I think it's an interesting one. I definitely definitely know what it feels like to be scared. And I think that um, brave isn't necessarily something I describe myself as, but actually it is something that people say about me quite often with different in the different circumstances that I've been in. Um, and I think on reflection in my career, I probably have done some things that are considered brave, like um, walking away from senior roles without a job to go to. Um, and I think that those decisions have been made on now looking at that on the sort of the values and the things that I put against myself um, and something that I probably have only done in the last few years um, before I think my bravery was the decisions were made on on other things but I think one of the um probably the bravest things I've done was um run my own agency and actually there was a huge risk associated with that but at the time I didn't feel fearful I felt excited um and I think although there were sleepless nights and lots of things around that I think there was a you know a fear as I got into it more there was a huge fear of what does failure look like and what would people think of me? Um, and so that was definitely something that became quite consuming when I was in the business, particularly as there was a point where, you know, it was a successful business. And I decided that actually the values that I put on my personal life and what I wanted the business to be, which was around sort of trust and communication and collaboration all of those things were falling down in the business. And from the outside world, it would have been seen as successful with some great clients. And I think probably the thing that I went with then was this doesn't feel right. My gut instinct says I should get out of it. But the fear was what will people think? And with working with a mentor, working with a lawyer, having conversations, I started to realize actually the brave decision here was to get out of this business and not see it as a failure. Uh, and that was quite a journey that I needed to go on to um, get to that point. But actually I got there, I sold out. And on reflection now, it was absolutely the right thing to do. And something that, you know, I've learned from, I'm proud of it rather than being in fear of it now. And I think that's really allowed me to move on in my career more effectively by having that experience and realizing that actually sometimes it's good to be in those situations where it creates those feelings and you sort of learn and go on that journey with them. Yeah, I think it's really interesting what you're saying about that kind of conflict, I suppose, between really what you want and what drives you and the learning and the curiosity and building something new and listening to that voice rather than the voice that what will people think you know I might mess up and that sort of the uh, sticking with those kind of intrinsic motivators that come from inside you rather than necessarily the sort of external ones about that world around you. Uh, one thing that I know about you, Polly, too, is that you, and you talked about it a bit just when we were talking then, about part of bravery and making a wise decision is actually really thinking and really reflecting on it too. Uh, and I know that you're a brilliant preparer. <laughs> how, how much is that part of what you do too? Um, do you know it is? I, I definitely, I, I make decisions quickly um, and I go with my gut instinct. But what I do do is the due diligence behind it. So 
I will ensure that I speak to the right people, do some research, build the sort of confidence that I need to be able to make the right decision. But absolutely, once that decision is made, I don't overthink beyond that. I go and I'm much more action orientated. I always look for solutions rather than problems. And I think that allows me to to make things happen. And I think that's probably what I'm known for at work is actually making these things happen rather than overthinking them and and drilling into them. Yeah, I love that quote from Nelson Mandela. May our choices reflect our hopes, not our fears. And uh, you seem to embody that perfectly. And uh, I guess how have you how have you always moved towards what you really value and use that to act, you know, really courageously in, in what you do at work? Actually, in working with you, Susie, I think that actually the courage often comes from it doesn't have to be actions. It can be much more of sort of a behaviour and a style. And I think re- reflecting on myself and realising that actually, you know, treating people how you want to be treated and looking at sort of the transparency that you can offer people in business and being open and honest and telling the good news and the bad news um, as well as sort of building that trust and loyalty. I think that really allows you to have courage in yourself and conviction in what you're doing because you're working with people that allow you to have a voice, but you allow them to have a voice as well. Um, and I think that really allows for bravery and courage to come through not only you, but as a team, you sort of take bigger risks and have better conversations and drive things forward in a different way because you're allowing people to sort of have be open and 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 talk about these things and take the opportunities that are there. Yeah, and I guess that's a bit about being sort of vulnerable, isn't it? And helping other people to do that and 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 sort of having that courage to kind of show up when you don't actually really know what the outcome's going to be. How do you develop the the sort of muscle of bravery? Have you developed some statements about yourself that have helped you do that? Yeah, I think one of the things that I've actually realized and I think this comes through age as well as um, experience is it's okay not to know all the answers I think that now I'm in a place where I can happily sit in a meeting and not think I should know what they're talking about or know this Um, I also I think one of the things um, that now that I feel more connected and more sort of know what I want to get out of life I think some of my decisions don't necessarily feel brave But my attitude towards life is if you don't try, you'll never know. And I think that probably something that people are defined as the bravest thing I've ever done is actually um, go on the journey to have a child on my own. Um, And I really felt that that was something that I I was even shocked by my sort of own personal defiance of like, this is what I'm going to do. And actually bravery, courage, judgment, all of those things weren't something that I was considering. It was it was much more of something that I felt if I don't try this, I will never know. And I feel like that's how I went into my business. Um, that's how, I, you know, the job that I'm in now, I feel like it's a, it's a big job. Um, but if I don't have that sort of attitude, um, then I, I, you know, I will live to regret it. And I, I don't want to be in a situation where I regret anything. I want to learn from what I do and I want to think that I've given it the best shot. Um, and so I think, yeah if I don't try, I'll never know is the thing that I sort of live by at the moment. 
Wow. I salute that bravery, Polly. And sort of really reflecting on how much other life experiences feed into our work and the confidence to make brave decisions outside work feeds uh, how we are in the office too and and the other way around because we, we you know we bring our whole selves to to work so thanks very much for for sharing that Polly I want to open up the discussion now to Serena and Gerard too I suppose picking up on the the sort of whole life uh, thought I, I just want to follow that a little bit more and talk about the sort of scripts that we have in life uh, from our childhood that relate to being brave or not being brave. And I didn't know whether anybody's got some outstanding memories from their childhood that relate to relate to this. As I said, I, I think it was bred into me, this courage to just keep going. Um, so I see it almost as systemic. Um, because when I look back, I think, gosh, that was amazing. I don't I don't specifically remember being courageous, except that I I didn't do very well at school. I just kept saying, I'm going to be an actress. So I kept on doing that and I kept on coming back to it and I never let go of it um, in spite of what everybody else was doing. Mm. And I think that's because it was in my upbringing somehow. I, I think I think that's so. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, Polly, I know in your story, I, I remember reading about you uh, actually preparing to to act in a in a sort of school drama, and how you felt then about going up and perform performing and being judged. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, I, I wanted to be an actress, but obviously <laughs> didn't quite get there. Um, and yeah, I think that my I never gave up trying. I think that the, the, what you're referencing there is I had a very small part in the play. And actually, when it came to the day, the person in the lead couldn't play the role. And actually, I knew every single word, every single move of that part, because obviously that was my ambition was to play that part. And I think that, yeah, the, the whole thing of me always being prepared <laughs> was um, it came to there but yeah I think it's a bit like um Serena was saying I didn't excel at school and I always was looking for sort of that moment where I could find what I was good at um and that definitely wasn't any and there wasn't evidence of it at school at all yeah yeah and and yeah so some of those that our sort of attitudes are very deeply laid in into how we approach things I guess aren't they and Gerard I don't know whether that's something that resonates with you as you've uh, gone through your life and and built a new career yeah I, I think I have historically been someone who was very keen to be liked and keen to ensure that what other people thought of me was what why I did everything but actually more and more I'm having to leave that behind um, and I think part of that is around accepting my own ordinariness because I guess originally I would have wanted to be exceptional, to be the best at whatever I did. And failing is actually very hard, but also it can make you a bit more sanguine. And I think at the moment in my career, I, th I think it's just about it's, you have to keep going. And, 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 and sometimes you hit that point in life. Um, careers, you know, in medicine can be difficult at times. Um, but 
the success is actually more for me about how I feel inside at the end of the day, rather than, you know, whether someone sees me to be the best at whatever I'm doing, because that's the only thing that really matters in the long run. Yeah. And that brings me back to thinking about how much it's important to really enjoy the journey rather than the destination. And we set ourselves goals for change and we expect our life to be very different when we get there. But it's actually that day-to-day enrichment and mindfulness about the experience that I think is really important. And yeah, how how do any of you feel really about that idea of learning and enjoying that moment rather than aiming towards something else. I think it's interesting listening to you all that uh, that I, in, in acting, you are very driven to be a star. That's what you know. Come on, you're going to be a star. And it took me quite a long time to realise I didn't want to be a star. I like being part of the of the machine. I like being one of the cogs. That's where I'm happy. So letting go of that... And realising that I would rather do something that in a group, in a community, you know, play the sister rather than the lead, whatever that is, I've really enjoyed that. And that's all come from the practice of, I guess, working on myself, you know, learning about myself, having coaching with the likes of you, Susie. Um, Well, with you, (laughs) Susie, in fact. And... (laughs) um, is is allowing yourself to be in the place that's comfortable it's it's the same as similar to what Gerard was saying it's knowing who you are finding out who you are and that only really comes through bravely taking yourself through the first bit of your life yeah thanks Serena and thanks to all three of you for your great insights and and sharing so much of your your career and life experiences it's been fascinating exploring this topic and I've learned so much more about how courage comes alive on a daily basis for all of you I guess courage is something to do with connecting with what you want now what have you learned really in the light of those new experiences but also what shifted for you I guess about acknowledging and not denying those feelings of fear and the feelings of doubt, but beginning to move towards, as you've all said, towards the goals and then slowly building that 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 courage muscle. And we mustn't forget to enjoy it uh, as, as we go along. So thank you for all of those of you who have stayed listening throughout the podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it and be sure to look out for more in the series. And the book Stories from the Careers Couch will be published by the end of the year. Thank you and goodbye.